happens a lot. So uh, we have Joab and Amanda Fisher, which we've actually been supporting their family for a number, or Joab's family for a number of years. He was raised as a missions kid on the field in China. So you were what, 11, 10, 11 when you went? So it was 2003? Is that when y'all went? 2003? The what? 2001. And so his family has been there. So he was half raised in China. How about that? And, uh, and so they are getting ready and they've already moved, but officially like moving, moving, will be moving in the next month to Turkey. And uh, so I want to go ahead and invite them to come up on the platform with us. Would you guys welcome them as they come today? So we're going to share, like I said, we just met a couple months ago and uh, so thankful that they could come and be here with us. And uh, so over the last couple of weeks, uh, three weeks, I guess now, we've been talking about, um, you know, tell the world and share your story. We've been talking about really evangelism. And, um, and so I've even shared with you guys the idea, the concept that you're missionaries right here is that missionaries aren't just people who go to some other country, is that we have a responsibility to reach into our own environment and context. And so then last week we started talking about we also have a responsibility because we are extraordinarily blessed to send the gospel to the four corners of the earth, if you will. It says that we're going to Jerusalem, Judea, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, not all of us can pack up and go, and not all of us are called to do that. Um, but there are those who go, and there are those who send. And so, um, and so Joab reached out about a month ago and said, Hey, you know, we're going to be down your area, you know, with, uh, the fourth work for you guys. And I was like, absolutely. And so, um, I'm going to hand this off to them, let them introduce themselves a little bit to you. And, uh, and so just to, so y'all can get to know them a little bit and then we're going to talk about a few things together. So should I start yeah. with her? Morning. Oh yeah. <laughs> Put up our picture of the family. Okay. Yeah. So we have a couple of pictures of their family and so they got five little ones. Oh, there, yes. So that's the official, like, newsletter photo. So let me show you the other picture as well. There we go. See, that's what it looks like to travel with little ones abroad. But how long ago was this picture, you think? March? That was in March, yes. Um, Yeah, so we we got married 10 years ago, and my wife would call it the decade of pregnancy. So we think we're done, but you never know. But taking five kids overseas is definitely a, a joy. And, uh, you know, because God loves your ch- Yeah, God loves your children. It was funny how we met because we were at this conference. And they come up to us and they're like, we need to eat out with you guys. And we're like, oh, hey. And, and he, apparently that, he's really spirit-led with this. So they go to conferences and then God tells them that they need to meet certain people. And so we were the chosen ones, <laughs> I guess. So we're like, all right, let's go out to eat. And I don't think you real you, you even knew that you had been supporting my parents. Like, they didn't even know who we were. They just said, God said to go meet with those people. And uh, my dad, Steve and Charm Fisher, they live at, they pastor a church in Hong Kong. And uh, we've been there many years. But it's kind of one of those cool God divine things. So we've been chatting since. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'll just introduce myself and then you can share yours. Does that sound good? So, uh you know, I'm just so thankful for the body because people impart different things and you never know the seeds that are being sown. So we moved overseas and I was 11 years old, but, and I have three siblings. So it was a big family of six and, um, we left a big house. My dad, we had a, a 5,500 5, square foot house, you know, we're well off swimming pool, hot tub. And we moved from that into a 500 square foot house. And so we went through adjustment, but 
you know, the thing was, like, I remember me and my siblings, we were excited. And I, and I growing up in the ministry, I can, I can testify that a lot of kids are not excited about the ministry. And it's really like a split 50-50. Um, you've probably seen that too. Like, some, some kids really struggle. And so I, I began to ask the question, what, what makes, like, what makes families work in the ministry, you know, where it's life-giving, you know, and it becomes a legacy, second generation. So we're second generation, now raising a third generation uh, overseas. And I credit, to, it, credit it to a couple things. One is the Word of God and the Spirit of God was put into me as a child. When you have a service where the Spirit of God falls on the kids, and kids are having visions of heaven and, and encountering Jesus face to face. And this, their service is going longer than the adult service. So the adults have to wait outside the room while the kids are still just full, full of the Spirit of God. Like that kind of stuff doesn't go away. And it marks you. And I always say to put your best people in your children's and youth ministries. Because you're sowing into a generation to come. And so we, we were set in the right path from a young age already. So we were with our family. And then we were very involved in the ministry as well. So I, I say like this, how do you get young people to get a heart for sharing the gospel or doing ministry? Is by letting them do ministry. You can't get a heart for something you don't actually do. And I love the vision you shared with me that this church will one day be sending out or maybe soon, uh, every young person on a mission trip. It would be absolutely life-changing. So I grew up with an uh, unusual childhood because when I was 13, me and my 12-year-old brother began smuggling Bibles into China on a weekly basis. And, you know, we'd smuggle Bibles in the morning, come home and do school, and thought that was normal. Um, <laughs> And would see, like, the power of God certain times. Um, Without adult supervision, by the way. Yeah, totally, like, when I, was, when I turned 14, we had been doing it long enough that they asked us to become the team leaders for these groups. So literally, it was, it was bizarre. Like, people from all over the world would be coming to Hong Kong to smuggle Bibles for two weeks. And they would say, oh, here's your team leaders, this 14- and 12-year-old kid. And like, okay, so we're going into a communist nation with illegal contraband, and we have a couple teenagers leading us. Uh, I feel really safe. But, you know, the thing is, we, we, knew, we knew our route down really well. We knew where to go. Uh, if you got pulled over by the police, we knew what to... Uh, you, you would tell team members you need to wait in this spot, and we knew, we knew how to train people how to go through interrogation, like what to say to the guards if you get stopped, how to present yourself, how to pack the bag a certain way so they go through the scanner. So, it, I mean, we just thought that's what people did. <laughs> so it was, it, was, uh, it was like you saw the reality of the front lines of the kingdom work. And I think many times we forget that we're in a spiritual war against the kingdom of darkness. And when more is given, more is required. So I, I better not screw up because a lot's been put into me my whole life. And so there's a lot more required. It's not more is given to me so I can coast. 
No, there's there's a lost and dying world, and we're we're com- commissioned to to be his the army of, of literally the kingdom of light to pull people out of a kingdom called darkness. We have the great privilege to do that, and so we would be smuggling Bibles. And uh, I've been like just the reality that I've been detained six times for for Bible smuggling, and in mainland China, been detained twice. Um, I've had secret police follow me on more than one occasion in China and in Iraq. I've had um, personal friends put in prison for months and some years, years, for the sake of the gospel. And I think, man, we we have it pretty good here. You're not, you're not. We have we've had churches shut down by the police. Um, just. Even even people that we know that they're challenged in their faith right now because they're persecuted in a way that they're put they're financially persecuted now because of their faith they can't get certain jobs from the the communist government and different different even Islamic faiths they put pressure on family members and it, the devil puts pressure so that you'll lose the faith. There is something about keeping the faith in the midst of persecution. So um, there was a few times uh, we were smuggling the Bibles and uh, I had one guy stop me and he opened up the bag and looked in and uh, he saw they were Bibles and he looked, he looked back and forth and he said, hallelujah, and zipped it up and it's like, okay, go, go, go. Um, and seeing miracles as a kid, but you know, the call of God, um, I'll tell this one part and I'll shut up and let her talk. Uh, the call of God really was imparted into me as when I was turned 15 years old. Um, you know, I had been experiencing all this stuff. And, you know, you're just kind of weighing, you know, what do you want to do with your life? This is my parents. They stepped out and obeyed the call. But now it's my choice. So we were taking a, a group of uh, about eight people. Um, we were on the team going up to North China, Beijing, which is the capital, in January. So it was very cold. It's kind of snowy a little bit and we get to the train station um, we ha- literally take a 24-hour train from the south of china to the north of china they have sleeper beds on the train so you feel like you're going like back in time to the 1960s or something and so we get at the train station and normally we have i would i was going to say agents but it's just regular people meet us at the train station um, and with a van and we load up the bibles we literally have these big bags full of Bibles, like like 60 pounds each. And we put them in this van, and they drive off to a place. Pastors and people from all over the city come with backpacks, load them up, and it's distributed within a few hours. So I guess that's how they run drugs. But I don't know, maybe. <laughs> we could maybe learn from how they do it, you know. Um, so this time they said, actually... So the Chinese leader wants to have Chinese contact from the city. He wants to meet you guys. So we're going to go to your hotel today. So we said, okay. So we go to our hotel with all our big bags, trying to look inconspicuous. Like we have all these big heavy bags going in to a hotel room. Like, oh, you guys pack a lot for a guy. <laughs> like, oh. um, So we, we're sitting there waiting in our hotel room. And there's eight of us and all the Bibles. And we hear a knock on the door, and in walks in this 90-year-old 90, 90 man, Chinese guy, and his 89-year-old wife. 
and two other people. And he sits down. I didn't know who this guy was. And he begins to share his testimony. And he says, he starts off by saying, my name's Alan Yuen. And in 1957, when communism was taking over, I was, I was pastoring here in the city. And they asked me to help form the government state-run church called the Three Self Church. Him and ten pastors. And I remember thinking there, I was like, man, 1957. Wow, that's like history book level here. How old is this guy? Like, I'm just processing all this. And he said, when he was asked in 10 pastors to do this, his response to the government was this. No, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not the Communist Party. And we will continue to pray for the government and support the government, but we we can't form this state-run church. So then they proceeded to label him counter-revolutionary, threw him in prison with a lifetime prison sentence. And they sent him to North China, which is the province of Harbin. It gets below 40 in the winters. And they had to build their prison by hand was the first task. And you can imagine the conditions in 1960s in a communist nation, what it was. And he's sharing this, and he said, at any time, they would, they would weekly meet with him, sit him down, and they would say, if you recant your faith, we will let you go. And he said, I, I couldn't do it. And all eight other pastors all recanted their faith, except him and one other pastor. So he's sharing all the stuff, and I'm, I'm sitting there just processing it, thinking, wow, this is like a legend in China sitting right here sharing with us. And his wife is sitting right next to him. And she had to raise six children by herself during this Mao revolution where millions were killed of starvation. And now she's persecuted because he's, an, he's a counter-revolutionary. She can't get certain jobs and, like, is looked down on in the city. And I would think to myself, like, what if I was in his position? What would I do? Like, knowing I could be released if I just recant my faith, deny Jesus. They would let me go. I'm making her go through this hardship. And he said, uh, in 21 years, he never got sick one time. And he said, it was great because I would share the gospel with the prisoners and start little small house groups all throughout the prison ward. And even some guards started to join them. And the government didn't like it because they kept having to rotate guards out. Kept getting him saved. Just like, what do we do with this guy? He won't die. And he, So uh, he said after 21 years, through a long story short, the, the U.S. government began trading with China. And from the top level, from U.S. President Nixon to Deng Xiaoping, the president at the time, gave, gave a list of names of prisoners to be released to show human rights and all that. And Alan Ewan's name was on that list. So they have to sit him down. They say, okay, well, we're going to let you go, but you have to promise you're not going to preach in Jesus' name, you're not going to pastor your church, and you're not going to meet with foreigners. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> so they let him go, and he literally found out he had become famous because... When persecution came, the underground church exploded. And people would say, if Alan Ewan can stay faithful, so can we. 
And he became this beacon of hope because he wouldn't deny his faith. And so he began traveling all over the country, found out there's no Bibles, said we need to start a Bible, you know, some Bible smuggling route or whatever. And so he, he was sharing with us that day saying, you guys are joining a legacy. I helped start 40 years ago. Um, and it's still needed today that we just, we need the Bibles. And so someone raised their hand in our group and I love it because it was me and my brother and then there was six other people that were like 65 plus on the group. Like all these retired people thought it'd be cool to go smuggle Bibles retirement. Like, yeah, that's cool. I want to do that when I retire. And so this lady, she raised her hand and one lady was 84 years old, 84 smuggling Bibles in China. Like it was awesome. Um, so this lady said, why are you here? And brother Ewan was like, what do you mean? And she said, why are you here with us now? Because here you are 90 years old. You don't have to be meeting like you sneaking around. You're not supposed to be meeting with foreigners. Picture him and his 89 year old wife, like sneaking around corners and like, come on, you know, <laughs> to come meet us. Just to like thank us for bringing Bibles, like what do we we didn't do anything special? This is like a, a like a Billy Graham of China, right? He could have sent his one of his people, you know. And he responded with this: I'll never forget it. He said, "The thing about it is, only God's word can save China." And when I hear our foreign brothers and sisters bring us Bibles. I have to come thank them myself. And when he said that, that statement, you literally felt the presence of God come in the room. And then he stood up and came over to me and my brother. And I'm like, whoa, like, what do I say? And so he said, uh, like, what are you doing in Hong Kong? And uh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, we're doing ministry in Hong Kong. And he's like, wow. And he's like, you know, uh, thank you for for serving the Chinese people and giving your life. And I thought, I really, like in that moment, I, the Lord was doing something and, you know, you're 15 years old. Um, and he, and I, I remember thinking, you know, I really haven't done that much for you, God, compared to like, compared to you. But God planted a seed in my heart and I said, I want to spend the rest of my life fully surrendered to you, Father, and helping the unreached and persecuted church. And from that seed is what has grown into what we're doing today, even from that moment. And Brother Ewan kind of spoke some more things over me and my brother. And uh, he was just so humble. He came over to, like, he's 90 years old and he's trying to carry these big heavy Bibles. And, like, trying to carry himself. Or like, no, 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 we got it. And he's like, no, no, he wants to help. Uh, just humility on a level I've never seen. Later that year, he died. And his wife died. And I was privileged to, to meet him and get that impartation. And I joked with my dad. I said, you know, Dad, well, I got to meet Alan Ewan and get this prophetic thing. And you never did, Dad. So, well, we know who God really called and anointed, <laughs> you know. So that's how I got this, the calling in my life. But my wife, Amanda, we met at Bible school. And she didn't have the same experience or growing up but yet we're now in unity obeying the call of god and so hers her story is very different 
And that's the amazing thing is maybe I'll let you share. Wow. How do you follow that? You know, like, oh my goodness. Well, I definitely didn't have a Billy Graham moment, like right. meeting anyone like that. Um, but what I did have was a love for the Lord mm-hmm. at a young age. And so, um, about 13, I got involved in a really good youth group at my church. And up to that point, I didn't really have any, uh, foundation in the Lord. It was just miraculous how you even got to that church. So I just decided to go all in. I wanted to know God, and um, just through that time, I eventually became like a youth leader. And then when I graduated high school, I graduated a little bit early, and I was just asking, like, what is my next step? And I was actually looking at colleges. I had a desire to go into nursing to do medical missions. I never wanted to be like a full-time, you know, missionary, but I was like, I could do it a couple weeks or whatever. Um, But then through a chain of events, I met a woman who graduated um, from Rima Bible College. That's the one we met at. And um, when she just told me about that school, I couldn't like shake it. I just kept thinking about this school and I really was fighting it. I was like, I don't want to go to Bible college. I want to go to regular college, you know, meet my husband happily ever after, whatever. And so, uh, but I said yes to the Lord. I was like, okay, Lord, I feel like this is what you're asking me to do. So I'm going to commit to go to Rama Bible College. So I left my home in Illinois and moved to Oklahoma. And one thing about me, it was kind of interesting. My parents often bring this up is that when I was young, I had like such a fear of being away from my home. Like I would go to stay the night with friends and I would end up calling my mom, like, come pick me up. I can't do it. Like, I don't know what it was. So for me to move from Illinois to Oklahoma, they're like, yeah, right. She'll be back, you know, or whatever. And then, um, so I got to Rama and I thought it was a one year school. We were at the orientation and they're like, for the next two years, you'll be committing yourself to the school. And I'm like, oh, well, Lord, I gave you one. So we'll just see how it goes. And, um, but anyways, through the first year, the Lord really started stirring my heart to go on a trip to China. And since I was a little girl, I've always, um, wanted to adopt from China. And so I was like, oh, well, I could do a mission trip. And I was looking into various organizations and I was like, oh God, none of these seem right. I need you to show me like who to go with. So that weekend I went to a college football game where I met Joab. And after the game, he just came up to me and uh, my friend and was like, hi, I'm Joab. And I'm like, oh, I'm Amanda. What do you do? And he was like, well, I live in Hong Kong. We do mission trips to China. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, I want to go on a trip. So anyways, that summer, I went on a two-week trip to China. And um, on the airplane ride back, the Lord said, I want you to go and intern with his family's ministry for a year. And I'm like, no, remember, I'm going to college now, Lord. Like, I gave you the two years at Bible school. And he's like, well, this is what I'm asking. And so I'm like, well, okay, yes, Lord. So uh, I went to Hong Kong. And then at this point, we were just friends. Like, I don't even know if you'd call us friends. We were like working together I don't, yeah right we were cordial but we just didn't really like each other it was weird i don't know but within like i um, did think she was cute though but other yeah. than, other than that i was like I was actually talking to another guy at this time and so it was just really weird but i don't know something happened within a month we're like dating and then a few months we're engaged and then we're married and 
I just like, I look back and I'm just amazed at like how the Lord did that just from a simple obedience of saying, yes, God, like I'll follow you. And it's funny because we travel a lot in the States. Um, and oftentimes people will come up to me and they'll make these comments. Like, I just don't know how you do it. Like travel with all these kids. Like I could never do that. I could never homeschool. I can never live in a foreign country. And I believe what they're trying to say is like, you know, it's amazing like what you do, but I'm thinking, well, aren't you a Christian? Like, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean, are you telling me like, if God asked you to do what he's asked me to do, you would tell him no. Cause like, I didn't know that was an option. Um, I thought like when I died to myself mm. and I was raised with Christ, like my life is no longer my own. And I'm pretty sure I was bought with a price, you know, and that price was the, the blood of his son. And so this is what he's asked of me. And so, I kind of compare it to, like, if you can't relate with that, you can relate it with being in the military. You know, if you enlist in the army, which is how the Bible compares this to, like, we're soldiers with Christ. If we enlist in the army and your general asks you to do something, you say, yes, sir. You know, there's no, like, actually, I think I have a better idea. Maybe I won't do that. Um, But a lot of people do, like, say no to him. And he's never going to ask you to do something. That's not going to benefit you or not going to be good for you. Because I like look back and I'm thinking if I would have done my plan, like going to nursing school or, or whatever, where my life would be so different, you know, and I'm so fulfilled. I'm so happy in the call and there's grace for whatever God asks you to do. And another thing was, um, you know, a desire in my heart was to be married. And so when he asked me to move to Hong Kong, I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm going to be like a spinster. You know, I'm never going to get married and I'm just going to, like, die single. But it was so cool because it's like I moved to Hong Kong and I'm running my race and Joe's running his race. And you kind of look over at each other and you're like, you'll do. You know, and then, I'm just kidding. I'm just you, kidding. You that's thought she joke. was cute, and she said, you'll do. Right. No. Yep, that's how no. it is. Yeah. And it's been so good. So the Lord knows that you can fully trust him. You can fully trust him your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how Amanda was like, she just obeyed the Lord, and you don't need some spe- spectacular thing. Um Definitely for a while, I, I knew what our family was called to do, and she she just obeyed. But it, it took time for us to become We had to fight for unity in the call is what I call it. And the Lord began to teach me about covenant. You know, like I made covenant with her, not the ministry. So I need, how many times have I been on my knees and wept in prayer that Christ be formed over my spouse and fight until that happens? You know, that wrestling in prayer and, and speaking over her. And even our kids, like, that's, we've had a lot, we've had some family that are, you know, people and they make comments like, what are you doing taking those kids, like, over to the Middle East and communist China? And um, and you and you think about it like, okay, so, like, I've had parents say I would never take my two-year-old to Iraq, like, when I took last year when my kids and, uh, the thing about it is when you are close to the father and you obey him, he tells you to do something with your kids. I remember talking with the Lord about it. And, you know, I said, Lord, I'd, you know, I'm, I want my kids to have a great childhood. And the Lord's like, do you think you love your children more than I, lo- I do? 
And it's like, oh, yeah, so God, you love my kids more than I love my kids. So if he gives me a command, he, he has their livelihood in mind. And don't you think that them, them going with us and seeing us walk a life of faith is the greatest gift we can impart into the next generation? Like me growing up overseas, I had a front row seat watching my parents walk a life of faith. They weren't perfect, but I got to see that. And don't you think that's a great gift they imparted into me? And so these things that the world says are important for our kids are not the top priority that the Father has in mind. And the, the Lord began to show me how to show us together how to parent our children. I said, how, how can we do it? What's a, what's a good, like, scriptures and stuff? And the Lord said, parent your children how Jesus uh, led his disciples. He, how he fathered his disciples. He was with them. He took them with him. Did ministry events together. He ate with them. He put them in positions that challenged their faith. And he corrected them for things that we don't always correct our kids for. Like, where is your faith? And I love the, the scripture that says, when the feeding of the 5,000... It says, he asked, uh, was it Andrew, how are we going to, what are we going to do to feed these 5,000? And then right next to that, it says, Jesus already knew what was going to happen, but he only said this to test Andrew to see his response. And I love that. That's like, that's how parenting is. And so we're stepping that now on our own. And uh, yeah, do you guys have any questions? Want to ask? No, I mean, well, I mean, I think some of it too, you know, is, and I, so appreciate y'all's heart of just that willingness to say yes, you know. And, and so um, kind of talk about the transition maybe from China to kind of to Turkey, which you guys are getting ready to head to. Kind of talk about, hear about how y'all kind of came to that. Oh, totally, yes. It started when my wife and I, we've I've served years and years with my parents' ministry, and we kind of sensed there was a time when we were going to start launch out on our own. And that happened about five five years ago now. Um, and we, we launched out deeper into the mainland part of China. Um, and it, it, it took a lot of just saturating in prayer. Um, and there was a moment where it was really hard. Everything was hard. And you're thinking like, almost you want to quit if you're just, if we're just being vulnerable and honest, like, and I remember some going alone and I said, Lord, I don't know how to get through this. But I know I need to pray. And I began to get up every morning, two hours before everyone got up, which is a miracle because I'm not a morning person, and pray until I see breakthrough in my family, marriage, and ministry. And let me tell you, when you pray and you start to get unity with your spouse, you think, man, dang, prayer really works. So I can pray and it affects my spouse. Like that to me was the greatest miracle ever. Um, yeah, right. Like seriously, that, that should, like to me, you're not trying, you're at a point where you're not trying to just pray because you're a good Christian or it's a Christian thing to do. You're at like, this either is real and it works or it doesn't. The rubber meets the road. And so it, our, our unity and the call began to get closer and closer. And so, uh, we were there and we launched a ministry in mainland China and it was going well, very well. Um, and we came to the States to adopt our little girl um, in 2020. 
and it was kind of a, a, a wild adventure fleeing China during the craziness. Um, cause right at that time, the coronavirus, it was called was only in China. And so we were going to the States to adopt. Um, we left our home with two bags thinking we'd be right back, you know, in a couple months. And over two years later, we still can't get back into mainland China. Imagine leaving your home, everything in it, and thinking, and now you'll never see your home again. So that's what happened to us. So during that time, we're like, well, Lord, we're here we are. Send us, you know, use us. And kind of the Middle East had always been on my radar, like, for years, thinking one day maybe we'll do something. Um, because... Uh, the thing that God imparted, imparted into us was closed nations, persecuted places. And so um, a buddy of mine, fellow missionary to China, was saying, hey, I'm going to Iraq um, to do ministry. Why don't you come with me? So I said, okay. So we go to Iraq, and it turns into this, like, coalition of missionaries, former Asian missionaries all in Iraq doing ministry together. And so it's like, okay, let's do this. Let's just start being used by the Lord and go, go where he tells us to. Our team leader in Iraq was a former missionary in Malaysia who had been in prison five times, American guy, imprisoned and tortured five times for preaching the gospel to Malay Muslims. So he was pretty bold with his faith. It's important to be around some people that are crazier than you. <laughs> you know, it, it, it challenges you on a whole new level to get out of your, our little life for myself. Because, you know, the devil, he believes, he really believes that when it comes down to it, we love our own life more than we love the Father. And that's what happens when trials come. We think it's all about us and our perspective life. And we, and we don't realize there's a demonic war, Ephesians 6, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, coming against to quench and stop who? Jesus. They're not even threatened by you. They're threatened because the word was put into you. And they come for the word's sake. So they come to steal the word because they believe when trials come, you'll love your own life. More than following what he's, he's called you to do. So we fight to keep the word in us. Um, and so we were, we were going to the, uh, starting to do ministry there in Iraq. It was going well. And, and then we were praying a lot. That's, that's very important as a couple to pray to get in unity where God's called your family. And we just felt a release temporarily from China, like, cause we were trying to get back, trying to get back. Nothing's working. And we're like, okay, Lord, so where are we going to go? And the word, why don't you say what you prayed out? Or do you want me to share it? So uh, we were praying and praying in the spirit, praying in our known language and praying in our unknown language. And she prayed the word Istanbul. And I don't know if you knew it was the city there. You're not sure. Uh, yeah, we won't go there. I wasn't even sure it was a city. It's kind of yeah. embarrassing. So we find out. It, and just something went off in our hearts, like a, a peace. So when we get a peace... We don't keep praying about it. We know the next step is to just go there and feel it out. So we buy plane tickets for our whole family times seven. You know, that's a lot of, that's a big commitment. Yeah. <laughs> so like, okay, Lord, we're doing this. So we go to scout out the land in this last November. We fly into the city, heavily, heavily Islamic area. Um, 
it reminded me of China. Uh, there's a lot of government oppression. Um, and it was like, yes, this is home. Uh, and so we get back and we start pl- planning to move. So we officially moved to Istanbul, Turkey in March. And uh, if we've run into a lot of opposition. But, you know, sometimes when you, you start obeying the call, the Satan comes to test to see your commitment level. Because mm-hmm. he believes you're going to fold and you're just going to go back to the whatever easier. Oh, and we have the saying in our family that every time the devil attacks, he risks Christ being formed in us greater. So you can either fold or you can keep going. So we've had a lot of Christ forming in us greater moments. He takes a risk. Yeah, spring. every time he takes that risk. And you just every time you come into these situations, you're like, wow, Lord, this is an opportunity to allow you to form something in me greater. And you just get a smile on your face. And you don't think the devil, it challenges. You don't think it makes him want to kind of back off. Because every time he attacks, he's forming Christ in you, forming Christ. He's going, wait a minute, let's stop. <laughs> let's leave them alone for a little bit. Um, and so uh, we actually had to come back to the States because some visa situations got denied because of the whole political situation with Ukraine and Russia right now. Tons of people's residencies are getting denied. And we're like, okay, Lord, we, we got a house there. We got a ministry going already. It's been wonderful. There's another way around this. So we had to fly all the way back to the States and get brand new visas. We're going to go back uh, as a student visa. And everything you do is just totally like completely unknown life of faith. But inside you have a knowing and a peace. And you take that step. So we are flying back October 6th. And going to start full time. We got to learn the language. You spend about two years learning the language. It's frustrating because I had started to get really good at Chinese, and uh, now we got to stop and start all over a brand new language. But Amanda's like, you know, let's have a race to see who can learn and become fluent fastest. Because she said she's very competitive. I am too. So I'm like, okay, let's let's bring it on. And she's already ahead of me. So I don't know how that happened. So. Yeah, so we're we're officially launched in. You mean share, any, share anything from Turkey, or do you have any other questions? No, you can share about Turkey. I mean, share okay. about what, what yeah, so are looking to do. When we got to Turkey, like I remember thinking, "Wow, these these people are really unreached." It was never on my radar initially, but when I got there, my heart was moved with compassion. I have this picture of Jesus when he was on his donkey going towards Jerusalem, and he stopped and looked upon the city. And he wept and he said, oh, Jerusalem, you're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that workers would be sent unto the field. And I just had that like burning in my heart like, wow, this literally it's 0. 0.01, 0.02 of 1% Christian, which is one fifth of 1%. Just, I was like, where are the churches? Where are the Christians? Because in China we had... In intense persecution. Um, I've done stuff in North Korea as well. Intense persecution. But we had an underground church that almost like battleground set. You know, we are on this side and the enemy's over there. And in Turkey, there's like, there's no, there's, there's nothing. And so I'm like, man, the Lord is working on something. I'm like, wow, Lord, am I willing to lay my life down for these people? Because to do anything substantial in these kind of difficult places, you're committing at least five years, 
many times 10 years just to get anything worthwhile established. Laying your life down to people that are not your own. And I went down to, uh, we're kind of spirit led like you guys where we'll go up to go to places and we'll ask, okay, Lord, who should we, there's somebody we need to meet. Lord, lead us to that person. So we went to one of the, the foreign gathering churches there and there's this one missionary couple that just like really connected, walked over to us and said, I don't know what it is about you guys, but we like you guys, but we don't know why. I'm like, I know because we have the spirit of God in us. Uh, and uh, so we connect and he's like, hey, you need to fly down to South Turkey with me. So I flew down in May and we're taking Bibles with us to these two Turkish men. And one guy's name is Mustafa and his friend. And I'm, I'm looking at the Bibles because apparently there's a big demand for Bibles in parts of Turkey for Muslims wanting to read a Bible. And they've never read a Bible. But Bibles are, are not distributed very well there and there's nowhere to find them. So we get it from the big cities and take them to the country. And I'm looking at these Bibles and one of them had a fire on it. And it's called the Fire Bible. And this is the same Bible. I look at it and I say, hey, hey, is this the Fire Bible? And he's like, yeah, this is the Fire Bible. It was translated by the Assemblies of God. A really thick training Bible for pastors and people that don't know anything about God. To kind of, you know, imagine you've never heard about Jesus Christianity your whole life. You hear and you're saved and now you're a pastor. And you're given a Bible. Like, what do you do? So to have anything that it can train you is so powerful. But we take for granted the word of God. I mean, I look at how much we have. And how these people have literally not had it their whole lives. And so I had a moment where like, oh my goodness, this fire Bible is the same book I've smuggled into China by the thousands. And here I am standing in Turkey holding a Turkish fire Bible. I had a moment of just like. Like, thank you, Lord. This is so cool. And so we get to Mustafa's house, and he's on the top floor of this building, eight stories high, no no elevator. And he's like a really old guy. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm losing my breath at level three going up. Like, this is, he does this every day. This is amazing. Um, he actually owned the whole building. It was very, very, very poor area of Turkey. But he lived at the top, rented out to all seven others. And so we're eating dinner, looking over the city. So he had the roof too, so it was an outdoor roof. And we looked over the city, and it's kind of funny. He had this, like, garden up there and chickens and all this random stuff. You felt like you're in this jungle on the top of this building. And he begins to share with us, he said, you know how I came to Jesus? For 15 years, I was searching for God. And I had a Quran, and that's it. And I was an angry man, and he pushed away his wife, pushed away his children. They all left him. He was alone. And he saw Jesus in the Quran, actually. But he, he didn't fully understand what that meant. And he said one day he was looking out the window, and a random person is standing there holding a Bible and a New Testament at his door. And the guy asked, do you want these? And Mustafa's like, uh, yeah, I've been wanting to read, read them. Thank you. So he takes them, and the guy leaves smiling and never sees this guy again. Doesn't know who he is. 
and he never saw him again. So he takes the Bible and New Testament and starts reading it. And he said he was so shocked at what it said, he would take the New Testament and just throw it against the wall. He said, I can't believe this. I can't believe I've never heard this before. He'd pick up the book and keep reading it and throw it against the wall again. It was all battered he was showing us. Then he took his Bible, New Testament, and his Quran and put them on the table. And he said he would pray with his hands on the table and his head touching the Bibles and the Quran. And he would say, God, which one is real? And he said, that's when he met Jesus. And Jesus revealed himself through the word. And his life was just completely changed. And I think, man, 15 years he was searching and he didn't find Jesus until someone gave him a Bible. And I thought, what if that person hadn't obeyed and just went up to that guy's house? Like someone had to go to his house and give him a Bible. It took the obedience of that man going. And then Mustafa stood up and he's like, Joab and my friend Brandon, he's like, he was just so grateful we were there because he said he pointed to the city in South Turkey. He said, there's two million people here and there's not one church for us Turkish people. Not one. He said, what can you do to help us? And I'm like, Lord, stop, stop, God. <laughs> like he's moving up, pulling your heartstrings. And you just see like, wow, you go to these dark places and light, you know, we need you just you see the need to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers and the need for people to obey and and not just do like literally lay your life down kind of stuff. And when you go through those kind of things and you see that it keeps you sober, it keeps you vigilant, keeps you watchful, because in the in the map of eternity, our life doesn't even show up. But yet it speaks for eternity. So Jesus said to live as foreigners here on the earth. And I think, man, so how dare I live like a local? I'm a foreigner on the earth with a mission like what Amanda said to lay my life down. My life's not my own. And so if my life's not my own, where does Satan have to attack? Because everything I have, I've already surrendered to him. So there's nothing he can pull. Um, and so we need the body. And I'm so thankful for the body because, you know, we're over there. We see that. But we can't do what we're doing without the body here. Literally a joint connection. Um, and that's how God established it. It's the, Jesus is church. He's the head of the church. So in Turkey, uh, where we're at and ministering, um, there's, there's a need for churches and Bible schools. And it's going to take time. But that's why we're there, you know? Nope. So how are you going to start that, like? Bible studies in your home, or I mean, how does yeah. that? We're just going to use all our James Bond skills that we learned in China. <laughs> yeah, you know, these kind of things. It, like I said earlier, it takes five to ten years to establish that. Well, and it always and starts with prayer. A lot right? of prayer, a lot yeah. of prayer, and which you we gotta learn language when we were there in the spring. Then, yeah. Praying consistently and regularly, like we have a heart to one train up Turkish people to learn yeah. how to pray. But even just co-laboring with some of the M's, the missionaries that are already there, even if we're not, like, from the same sect or whatever, like, you just work with whoever's there at this yeah. point, you know, because there's not many options. So we've seen that, like, in China, it all started with prayer, and then from that birth 
things like actually taking place. And so I would say the the closest one is probably Bible schools to starting yeah. sooner than a church, which is interesting. Yeah, the random things will happen that confirm, you know, God. There's certain people God wants to connect you with, and I'm in this park, and this this guy runs up to me, and he speaks good English, and he said, "I just ha- feel like I had to meet you guys. I've never met a foreigner in my life." And he speaks like really good English. I'm like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And so we start just talking and kind of share the gospel with them, him and his friend. And he says, he responds, he said, you know, last month I had Jesus appear to me. The Lord Jesus appeared to me and I've been looking for a church. I can't find one here. You know, you have those kind of situations where like the Holy Spirit just orchestrates those things for you to meet people. But I had to position myself to where I be in proximity. You know, like how can I minister to someone in Turkey if I'm not in Turkey? And so there's that level of obedience but you're working with the Holy Spirit, so it's not all on you either. You position yourself, and the Holy Spirit confirms a lot of times, but you prayed out too. Um, and there's this one. Should we? Can we tell that last story? Sure. I, I like to close with this story because it really, this this really rocked my life, and I pray it rocks yours as well. So I was in Iraq last year. And I met a, a young boy. He's 17 years old. His name is Zane. And he had recently become a believer. He fled Syria from the Syrian war. You know, ISIS just slaughtering people. And so he was a kind of a refugee uh, in Iraq. And he had a 13-year-old sister with him. And this boy, Zane, he spoke really good English, which is hard to find sometimes. And we connected right away. But he said at that time he was actually in hiding from his own parents because he became a believer and his own father and mother were looking for him and he was being housed currently at a missionary's home and being moved from home to home so he so he couldn't find him. And so we became friends through WhatsApp. If you don't know what that is, it's, a, it's an app like you can text people on anywhere in the world. And so about every month I would just message him, call him, talk with him, encourage him. Like, how do you encourage someone like that? Here they are as a teenager hiding from their own parents because of their faith in Jesus. You know, like, and what level of commitment do you have? You're like, you have to realize, am I willing to lay my life down for this? It, and then by the Spirit of God, will encourage him through you. You can't just be a lukewarm Christian is what my point is. You can't be a lukewarm Christian and encourage people like that. And so I went back in November again, uh, in, or it was October. And at this point, Zane had been transferred to a, a United Nations-led facility for, for youth and teens hiding from their parents. It's a super bizarre situation. And I was messaging him, and I was saying, hey, I was praying, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, you need to meet Zane, and you need to encourage him in the faith and he's going to be filled with the spirit that's what he's like super clear he spoke that to me and so i messaged zane i said hey i'm in iraq again i need to meet with you and he's like oh i don't think we can meet here i'm in this compound facility they they won't let me leave and i thought well maybe you could sneak out <laughs> you know because i knew the lord said so somehow it's going to happen so he said oh, okay we'll see what we can do the next morning 
he's like, okay, I think I can sneak out for one hour. They might not notice I'm gone. So I pull up with my Toyota 4Runner that I had rented, and I parked a block away from the facility so that the guards would not see me or see him get into my car. I, I say, I'm here. He sneaks out, walks around the block, sees me, gets in the car. We drive 20 minutes, or no, we drive, sorry, six minutes to the only coffee shop in the city uh, called Donut World. <laughs> and so <laughs> we go in to sit down, and I just start sharing with him truth. It was just really good to see him in person because he'd been talking. A lot of times in these parts of the world, with this level of persecution, you meet a fellow person or believer, and you may you, you don't know when the next time you'll see them. Like, you really don't know. So anytime you see someone, you're grateful. That's why Paul said, don't forsake the meeting up together. Because a lot of times, there was so much persecution in that time, people were dying. So make it a point to meet together. And so, we get back in the car, and I say, you could, you could just tell his heart was hungry for the Lord. And I say, you know, do you want more of God? Do you want to receive do you want to be baptized in the spirit? And he said, yes. I lay my hands on him and he starts speaking in tongues. And I'm just thinking, man, this kid, he's had no teaching, nothing. He just had a heart posture of believing and wanting God. He didn't get any training for this. He just wanted God. God just poured on him in that car. The anointing was so strong. And he's like, okay, we, we need to drive back. So we're driving back. And on the way back, he said, um, he said, you know, Joab, my sister and I, we were told by the leadership at the facility, everyone there is Muslim. Now you have to understand, everyone is Muslim. And they said to them, you're going to appear before a judge in a week, and they're going to decide your fate, but you have to tell the judge you're Muslim, or we can't help you. And he said, I met with my sister. She's 13. And we decided as brother and sister we couldn't deny Jesus. And I thought, man, the integrity of that. He's 17 years old to not deny Jesus in the face of not even knowing what his future holds. All alone, but he had Jesus. And he's willing to lay his life down. A lot of times we preach the gospel in a way that, oh, you believe in Jesus. You're going to get that good job. Your life's going to get to come together. Everything's going to work out. Over there, we say, you believe in Jesus. You may never see your parents again. You may be persecuted the rest of your life. And you may have to die for it. There puts a different connotation on when Jesus said, if you love your life, you'll never love me. You need to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It puts a new light on. I, I just thought, man, I hope I have the integrity that that kid would have. <laughs> I mean, he challenged me. If I was in that situation to just fall, it's like a falling in to Jesus, a, an abandonment of everything of self. And so he said, when we we're going to back to the facility, he said, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous right now that they're going to know that I met with you. Like I wasn't supposed to leave and I'm, def I'm definitely not supposed to be meeting with you. And I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, well, let's just pray in the spirit right now. So we prayed on our way back. The peace of God came in. And it's like, it's, you know, you just sometimes the spirit of faith comes on you and you know things are going to happen. And so I said, you know, I know it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's going to work out. So he gets back out of the car. We hug. I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. 
he, get, he walks the block around and goes back into the facility. About three hours later, he voice messages me. And I love it. He's a teenager, so he talks like a teenager. And he's like, hey, man, uh, guess what? You wouldn't believe I went back into the, the camp and no one knew I was gone. Whoa. The guard is like the guards just acted like I wasn't even there. It's amazing. And then he said this. He said, he said, for the first time in my life, I, I felt this boldness come on me. And I decided I was going to share Jesus with some other kids that are in this facility. And I just told them about Jesus. And there was one kid who was a Chinese kid. And I said, hey, I know a guy that lived in China. And he was like, whoa. And I was like, whoa. That's, how he, that's literally how he said it. But then he said this. He said, I don't know if I would have ever had this. He said, I've never shared Jesus with anyone before. And, until he got spirit filled. He said, I don't know if I would have ever done this if I hadn't met you, Joab. Thank you. And I'm thinking, well... I'm more inspired by you. And that's how God works. He, he, you, you have two people that are obeying Jesus, and you both challenge each other. And it's obedience to the call. And so, knowing that, I mean, there's, when you see that and you go through that, you can never go back to just living for you. <laughs> Jesus is too amazing. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know... Even listening to this, and, and you know, he said it earlier, is that sometimes you need to be around someone who's just a little bit crazier than you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and for some of you, there's probably like, there's two ways it can go. And really, we determine which way this will go. Either we'll allow what they've been sharing to really bring a holy conviction into our heart to challenge us. Or we'll allow it to go to the negative which is where the enemy would love and just mm. like well I could never do that and then we take on condemnation like well I'm glad that God called them because I ain't never going you know but there's a there's also a truth though is that we are all to live an abandoned life you know over the last couple of weeks I've been sharing with you is that Jesus isn't looking for you to be perfect he's not looking for all of these things what he is looking for is your yes just God whatever that is you know as he was sharing about was it Mustafa's? Or oh, yeah. What was his name? Mustafa, yeah. Mustafa. Like, who's in your life that's waiting for you to, in a sense, maybe not physically, but to go to their door and offer them Jesus? And they've been waiting 15 years for somebody. And you're like, oh, well, that wouldn't happen in our nation. Sure it does. Is that there are people around us all the time. And they're just waiting for an invitation. They're waiting for somebody to have the boldness to lean in and just say, Lord, okay. You know, the Lord may put somebody on your heart to start praying for them. And that's step one. And then when you're like, well, what do I pray? All right, Lord, give me an opportunity. You're like, well, how do I know when the opportunity is right? Not always this way, but I have found a lot. Is that there's something that happens on the inside of me. Like my heart rate changes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, almost this excitement slash nervousness slash freaking out kind of thing. And you, what you'll find is that many times when you lean into the discomfort, you'll find the presence of God. It's just mm-hmm. like what he was just talking about in the car. Like it's, it's uncomfortable for this young man to be going back to this facility, right? And in the natural, his mind's going, oh my gosh, I hope I don't get caught. I hope I don't get figured out. I hope all these things don't happen. But yet they start praying in the car. The peace of God comes. And then what? The road was smooth. But why? Because they leaned into the discomfort. We are creatures of comfort and we love our comfort. 
But God doesn't care about our comfort. He does care about his image being formed in us. He does care about our developing and our growing and our stepping into who he's created us to be. But that takes obedience. And it's many times in the small, mundane, the day-to-day things that we don't think matter. But when we learn obedience in the small things, it's a biblical principle. If you can obey me in this little attitude adjustment... Then I can open up this door for you, and I can open up this door for you, and I can open up. And, and it's a progression of really you stepping into what God has for you. And what has God had for you? People. I mean, that all of our call, every single one of us. I, I said it, I know I said it last week, maybe even the week before, is that we're all missionaries. The word missionary simply means that you're a sent one. And you may not be sent to Turkey, but you might be sent to the hospital. You might be sent to that neighborhood. You might be sent, your kid may be sent onto that team because there's parents sitting in those stands and you're the closest Jesus that that person may encounter. And God has placed you there in that moment to have influence, but it's influence with a purpose. It's for a kingdom purpose, a kingdom agenda. And so what I hope and my desire today is that what you're taking, number one, is a little bit of a... a, a rattling of your cage a little bit to kind of wake you up a little bit and be like, man, there's a whole world, not just over there, but right here. Like there's a whole world that really do need Jesus. And I mean, this is good news and bad news, depending on which way you look at it. The world's not getting any better. And there is only one hope. And that's why over the last few weeks we've been talking, First Peter 3, is always be ready to give an account for the hope that you hold on to. Why? Because people need to know. People know you and they want to know what is it that keeps you stable in a turbulent moment. Like I'm freaking out and you're not. Why? Well, it's because I've been praying about it. And the Holy Spirit is helping me and the Holy Spirit's leading me and teaching me and all of these things. And that requires us to be bold and honest, not shrink back from the moments. Because it's easier just to say like, oh, well, you know, I can't do anything about it. Well, you, you can do something about you. And sometimes it's easier to kind of like sidestep a question versus like, well, this morning I was reading my Bible and, I was, and I've prayed this morning and I asked God for strength for today. And you're like, yeah, but that could be weird. But that might be the very thing that person needs to hear to lead them to Jesus. And so let me say it like this. If it works for you, it'll work for them. So why would we shy away? I mean, sometimes for me, even as a pastor, as somebody who communicates regularly with people, there's things that, that, you know, like Joab was talking about, like the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, if it works for me and it's good for me, why would I not tell you about it? So the same is true for you. If reading the Word of God, if praying works for you, why would you not share that with somebody else? And the truth is we shouldn't. And we should be bold. And so we have to be spiritually strong. We have to pray. We have to build ourselves up. We have to build our spirit man up so that when the opportunity comes, we're ready for it. And you're like, and let me just help you. You'll never think you're ready for it. This is what I found with the Lord. When I think I'm ready, I'm not. And when I don't think I'm ready, God says I am. It's very backwards. But there's a scripture that I, that I want to just share with you about this. Because many times you can have the mindset of saying, well, what am I going to say? You know, Jesus told the disciples, don't worry about what to say. I'll tell you what to say in the moment. But, I mean, I'm analytical. I'm like, well, I want to have all my points. I want to, I got to have my argument laid out. 
But it's really learning how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, letting him lead you. Because what you say to one person may be not the thing you need to say to the next person. It'll be unique to that person. So even in sharing your faith, you know, and so how do you take away from this is put it into your context. Ask the Lord to help you to take some of these things that you've heard today. Some of these things that are convicting. Some of those things that maybe have kind of been like, maybe I'm living a little too much me focused. Maybe I've not really thought about uh, the people around me or even the world outside of just the people I know. The world as as a whole. And so... What are some ways that, w- that we as individuals and as a church can even be praying for you guys as y'all are getting ready to kind of leave here in the next few weeks? What are some specific yeah. ways that we can be just supporting you and praying for you and Absolutely. some things in that nature? Yeah, number one, we have favor with government officials. Like Paul said, if you ever want to know how to pray for missionaries, look up the Paul prayers. He asked, pray for me that doors would be open. Colossians 4, 3, or 2 and 3. Pray that doors would be open. And we use that a lot. And so, and then pray that words are be given to us, Ephesians 6. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So you can pray those over us. And then also that we have supernatural quick ability to pick up the language. Um, that's important. And divine, divine relationships to do what God wants to do in this, you know, next five years. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, can we pray for you guys before Absolutely. we dismiss? Would y'all just stand up with me this morning? We're going to pray. Don't y'all appreciate them coming and being here with us today? And, uh, you know, he kind of mentioned this earlier, but, uh, which is just something that we kind of have, have found that we had in common, is that, you know, it's just looking for those people, those divine connections. You know, and there's times that God will put somebody in your life that you don't know. And it may be just for sharing your faith. It may be just to encourage them. But that's not unique to us. Is that God will bring people into your life. And it's just like, I don't know what it is about them. They just stand out to me. It very likely is the Holy Spirit leading you to them. And it takes guts to walk for somebody and be like, I don't know you, but I think I should. You know, I mean, you have to do those things. Why? Because you never know. Because this is what I have found. Is that when the Lord wants to bless you, he brings somebody into your life. When the enemy wants to hurt you, he brings somebody into your life. And so what our responsibility is to figure out those divine relationships. Okay, God, this is somebody that you've sent. Because, and you've sent them for a purpose. And so we want to pray over them. You know, it wasn't by mistake that we saw them. Like he said, we've been supporting his family for a number of years. I had no idea who he was. I saw him from across the room. And I was, dare we, she said, you know, is there anybody you feel like we should meet? And I'm like, there's that one couple that, we, that we've seen. And the next day, like we talked about that night, and the next day we happened to sit on the same row next to each other. I'm like, hi, I've been wanting to meet you. You know, how are y'all doing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's a, that's, that was in July. And here we are a couple months later, and they're getting ready to, to take their family and go to Turkey. And so I want to pray, though. Uh, for us and uh, you know I said I want us to pray for them and for their family uh, because we can support them you say well I could never do what they're doing you can pray for them though and that was part of my desire is I want you to know who they are and know about them and so we want to pray just a couple of the things that he's already shared but I'm also going to add provision because it's not cheap like he said I mean they got seven plane tickets to pay for you know, and that requires money. It requires money to be there. I mean, can you imagine, like, put it in our context. Can you imagine what we did two years ago where we left our homes for three, four, five weeks, some of you much longer than that? What if you, you know, from the storms, what if you just knew you weren't coming back? 
And you left with a backpack thinking, we'll be back in a, in a week or two. And yet that's happened with them. And, and so, you know, there's so many things about that. So I'm going to add that. I know you won't ask for that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that in there for you. But uh, would you just stretch your hands out just as a show of your faith this morning? We're going to pray over them. Father God, I just thank you right now for Joab and Amanda. Father, I thank you for their heart, Father, their willingness uh, to be obedient to what you've placed in their heart to do. So, Father, we thank you right now. Father, I thank you for provision. For everything that they have need of, Father, I thank you that the Bible says that you're the one who sees ahead. And, Father, you make provision before it's even known to us. And so, Father, I thank you that you're already providing everything that they have need of to get established and set up for them and the kids and and all that comes with moving. And so, Father, we just thank you for safety around them. Father, I thank you that even uh, when the enemy would try to attack, Father, I thank you that it's like there's just blinders placed upon any adversary against them. That, Father, they're able to walk through gates easily, smoothly, where they should have never never been allowed to walk through. Father, I thank you that just like Paul walking out of that prison, Father, I thank you that you're just going to open the doors, Father, a smooth transition into this next season. So, Father, we thank you that they have favor with every person that they come in contact with. Father, I thank you that you're sending people across their paths. Father, divine connections and relationships and people who can open up doors and do things for them. Father, I thank you it's like hitting the fast forward button that even what in the natural and even to our mind we understand, hey, this takes X number of years. Father, I thank you that you're just fast forwarding that process. So, Father, I thank you for a supernatural aptitude in learning the language and the culture and all that comes with stepping into this new place. Father, I thank you that you're just increasing their abilities, increasing the grace and the anointing upon their life. Father, to be all that you've called them to do. Father, I thank you that that they have some things in their heart, but Father, I thank you that you have even more for them. And so, Father, I thank you that you're enlarging their heart, enlarging their eyesight, enlarging their vision. Father, to do even more than what they present see. And so, Father, we just thank you that today we pray that they are encouraged, that they are strengthened, Father, that they've come here to sow and to give. But, Father, I thank you that they're leaving here full today, full of your presence and full of your power, full of your strength and your encouragement. And so, Father, we just thank you even for uh, strength for them as parents. Father, to lead their kids, to raise up their children. Father, we just thank you for the strength of their home. Father, we just thank you for all that you're doing in them, for them. That, Father, you have great things. And, Father, you said in your word that we would never give up anything for you. Father, that you would not repay. That you wouldn't make up for even the loss or the lack or whatever it may be. Father, you said that you would do it. So, Father, we thank you for it now in the name of Jesus.